The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com We are continuing in our series in the book of Colossians. And we're in uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 17. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 17. Uh, uh, let's see. Are we? This is on, right? I can kind of hear something. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, you get to this place where last couple of weeks everything has been kind of a, a fog. I don't know if you you know that. You know, you guys ever watched the, that movie Joe versus the volcano? Like back in the '90s? No. Like he was diagnosed with this this sickness called a, a brain cloud. <laughs> Yeah, I actually think that's like for real, actually. It wasn't made up. Like, it, there's a brain cloud. Anyway, so much so that today, and I want to make sure that I let everybody know this, uh, even people watching on YouTube, uh, especially uh, my friend Connie Whitson here, uh, my hair looks the way it does because I took a shower this morning and I think I forgot to wash my hair. Because <laughs> it's, it's got that look like I put you know, too much gel in it or something. And uh, so I just want to make sure people, at least the people on YouTube know I didn't wash my hair. That's why it looks the way it does. How do you do that? How do you go take a shower and forget to wash your hair? I, I don't know. Al does it all the time, apparently. Okay. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be dealing with verses 16 to 17. John Burke actually writes this, and I quote, I watch the news and condemn those idiotic people who do such things. Most reality TV shows are full of people I can judge as sinful, ignorant, stupid, arrogant, or childish. I get in my car and I drive, and I find a host of inept drivers who should have flunked their driving test, and I throw in a little condemnation on our Department of Public Safety for good measure. At the store, I complain to myself about the lack of organization that makes it impossible to find what I'm looking for at all. And all the while, being tortured with music. Who picks this music anyway? I'm liking the music that I'm hearing in department stores these days. I think I heard like Hootie and the Blowfish a couple of times. and I was like, yeah, I only want to be with you. I love shopping. All right, and he goes on to say, I stand in the shortest line, which I judge is a way too, as, as I judge way too long because look people, it says 10 items or less and I can count more than that in three of your baskets. What's wrong with you people? Don't act like you guys don't do that. In that 10 items or less line, you start counting what people have. Yeah, see, you see, you see the married couples, they're all pointing at each other. And he says, there's more than three, than, in three of your baskets. What's wrong with you people? And why can't that teenage checker, what, what is she wearing? Focus and work so we can get out of here. Judging, he says, is our favorite pastime. If we are honest, but we're not. We're great at judging the world around us by standards we would highly resent being held to. Judging makes us feel good because it puts us in a better light than other people. Judging. Judgment is one of those fascinating topics when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to the church. Judging. There's all kinds of reactions. Like even today when I sat here or when I'm, when I'm standing here and I'm telling you and I'm saying the word judgment, judging, I think we all are probably looking at this and maybe even thinking of judgment in many different ways. Some of us might be thinking the different ways we judge. Some of us might be thinking about the ways other people judge me and the standards by which judging is happening. All kinds of reactions from all kinds of people, from all kinds of backgrounds. But many times when it comes to judgment, the reason that judgment is actually condemned 
is because the judgment that we are making are all wrong and immoral judgments. That's the reason why the judging is condemned in Scripture. I mean, we judge to standards that we don't hold ourselves to. When we make judgments, the question is, are we making right judgments? And some may be like, whoa, 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 Shay, I'm setting you up here. Whoa, 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 Shay. I mean, we, why are we even talking about judging at all? We shouldn't be making any judgments at all. Doesn't the Bible say, judge not, lest ye be judged? First of all, first of all, let's get a couple of things straight here. This passage of scripture does not tell us to judge. It's talking about judging uh, in a way where Jesus gave a great example of this. Remember the story where he gave the example of taking the log out of your eye before you take the speck out of your neighbor's eye? That's essentially a great picture of what he's saying when it comes to judging. It's a warning that if you judge, you too will one day be judged by the same standard by which you are judging. But second, family, here's, here's the thing that we've got to make sure we get past. Because, you know, and I, and, and I got this friend. There's a friend, me and Candace know the same guy. Um, Candace isn't here. But, but, yeah, yeah, we know the same guy that, that tattooed across his arm, only God can judge me. Essentially saying, nobody can judge me. And he likes to put his arm up like that to let everybody know while he's smoking a cigarette in church. Only God can judge me. We like this. No judging. No judging. You're not allowed to judge. No, there's no judging. There's no judging. Here's the thing. Do you realize that in Scripture, we are supposed to actually make judgments? We are supposed to judge. What? Yeah, yeah. YouTube people watching. Yeah, yeah. Shane, what do you mean? We're supposed to make judgment. Yeah, we're supposed to make judgment. Why? Because the Bible tells us that we're supposed to watch out for those men who do evil. Do you realize that the Bible tells us that we are not supposed to cast our pearl before swine? So you know what these passages of scriptures imply? Before you can not cast your pearl before something, you have to recognize that it is that thing. <laughs> Watch out for men who do evil. Well, the first thing we have to do is point out the men who do evil. You can't not cast your pearl before swine unless you make a judgment first that that individual actually is swine. We're supposed to be wary of fools and mockers. And the Bible gives us examples of what a fool and what a mocker is. So if we're supposed to watch out for them, if we're supposed to avoid these kinds of conversations with them, don't we have to make a judgment that they are indeed fools and mockers? It says that we are commanded to cast out the immoral brother. You know what that means? That means the church, we have to make a decision that this is an immoral brother. We have to make a judgment. We got to make a judgment when it comes to false teachers. It says that we're not supposed to uh, welcome and we're not supposed to uh, support false teachers that deny the divinity of Christ. What do we have to do? We have to make the judgment that these are indeed individuals who do that so we know who it is that we're not supposed to support. We've got to make a judgment in order to support that action. So here's the thing. The question is not whether or not we're supposed to judge or not. No, Jesus makes something very clear. We are to judge. But when we judge, we've got to, got to, got to make right judgments. This is what Jesus means in John chapter 7, verse 24. John chapter 7, verse 24. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. It doesn't sound like Jesus is telling you not to judge. No, Jesus is telling us to judge. But if we are going to judge, we've got to make right judgments. The reality is, though, that today, many times within the church, the problem is we normally face wrong judgments, judgments that are based upon our own personal standards and traditions, our judgments that are based on our own wants and our own desires, our own need to make ourselves feel better. We make judgments against other people to bring them down so that we can bring ourselves up. 
I can feel better of myself about myself if that individual feels worse about themselves. We should also remember that many in this world are trying to pull us from genuine Christianity to get you to follow them so that they can feed their greed, so that they can build their own following, so that you can be part of their thing. Now, here's the thing. So that they can build their own following, so that you can be a part of their thing. One of the ways that individuals and false teachers and heretics, what they do is with their own rules and their own traditions, they try to get you to feel condemned if you don't follow them, if you don't listen to them. They judge the way you dress. They judge the way you talk, the way you pray, the way you give, how much you give. You know, I remember one time uh, when I was in Bible college, I actually went to this uh, church service and a friend of mine invited me because there was going to be this special preacher that came. And, and so at the end of the service, they took up a love offering. Did you know that after they took up the love offering, the pastor of the church took the plate and started counting it? I kid you not. This actually happened. Started counting it. And I was really nervous because he started using his fingers. Like, you know, anytime you see people counting with their fingers, you know, you get nervous, right? And then he goes, "Uh uh-uh, this is not enough. Pass it again. Plates went again. I was so, I was so like shocked I was, you know, I think I, I'm in Bible college, right? I think I put like 10 bucks in there. I was so tempted to take 10 bucks out. <laughs> I was so tempted that I didn't, though. I just let the plate pass. Plate comes back, starts counting again. And then he goes on to basically say, every single one of you in this place is going to burn in hell if I don't get the type of money that we're wanting to bless this preacher with. And I kid you not, somebody in the back of the church says, can we pass the plate again? Yes, can we pass the plate again? Because people actually believed it. And they passed the plate again, and he was just like, wow, this is what I'm talking about. You guys are all going to go to hell if we don't meet the number that I am expecting us to meet to bless this person. Condemnation, judgments, things that are happening. And they're there. Family, they're there. Did you know that, did you know that, and this is a little bit off, off but you know, and, and um, people are always just like, well, Shane, why does God allow these false teachers? You know, why does God allow all this stuff to, to be out there? Do you know that God allowed the Canaanites to remain in the land? And you remember the reason why he said that he would do that? So that they could be tempted with the gods and the religions and the practices of the Canaanites. God left them there to test the Israelites to see if they would be faithful. Family, the false teachers of today, the heretics of today, they're here. But they're here to test us. They're here to test our faithfulness. Are we going to be true to what it is that God has called us to? Are we going to be true to his word? Or will we be abandoned? Or will we abandon the truth to follow after the false teachers? This is what was going on in Colossae. This was what was going on at the time. This is still a reality today. False teachers are luring us away using judgmentalism as a motivator to do so. Just like they were doing back in the time of the Colossians, they are still doing it today, trying to lure us, trying to pull us away from true Christianity so that we can follow them so that they can build a name for themselves and they can get what it is that they desire. Family, you, you do realize that there's money to be made in religion. It's not happening for me, but there's money to be made <laughs> in religion. 
I mean, I, I kid you not, there was an article in Forbes, I don't know if you guys saw it, but an article in Forbes where they were listing the net worth of preachers and televangelists and stuff like that. I mean, there's one televangelist that was worth almost $800 million. Why is there a televangelist in this world that's worth almost $800 million? Because there's money to be made in religion. And all they're going to do is pull you, motivate you. And one of the big motivations is judgment and the judgment of you burning in hell for eternity by not listening to what it is that they have to say. This is essentially what was going on in Colossae. So let's take a look. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 17. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 17. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that today you will open up our hearts and our minds to hear your word and that, God, that we will truly find that our source is in Christ and in Christ alone. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at today is the judgment that came for all that were simply believing and pushing of the shadows of things to come. And the second thing we're going to look at is the reality of what they represented, the reality of Christ. So our thesis statement for the day is this, though sin and the pattern of this world will cause us to live and move in the shadows and types, it is the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the scriptures that will show us the reality, the reality of Christ and Christ alone. So point number one, let's take a look really quick at the shadows. So the apostle and Timothy is urging the Colossians not to let inappropriate judgments come from the false teachers that were trying to lead the people away from Christ to follow their own thing. Again, remember, religion has always been a way for people to make money. Not just make money, but make good money. They were trying to bring a guilt they were trying to bring a condemnation because of what the Christians were and were not doing. This would be a motivator to lead them astray. Why? Because nobody wants to go to hell. And if you are this big name speaker, if you're this big name teacher and you're coming into the church and you're telling us all that if you don't do this, if you don't follow this, you're going to go to hell, that might actually perk our interest. You know, normally... You know, we'd be taking a nap right now. But when people start talking about, you know, if you don't stop doing this, if you don't do this, you're going to go to hell, we listen. That's kind of an important thing. We don't want to be condemned. Paul and Timothy are urging the people not to fall for any type of spiritual fullness, a spiritual fullness system that promises fullness of life without Christ at the center of it. Okay, so that's the main thing. That's the big thing that we've got to get today. You've got to be careful of any system of teaching. Paul and Timothy are making it very clear. To be careful of teachings and systems that do not have Christ at the center of it. Very important that we see this. And, and dare I say, we also got to be very careful of people that are putting the Holy Spirit as the center of their system. Got to be careful of that. Yeah, but Shane, the Holy Spirit is God, yes. But the Holy Spirit's mission was to do what? To bring glory to himself? He was come, he come here to bring exaltation and glory to Christ. So if Christ is not being glorified in the worship service, then the Holy Spirit's not helping. Huge, huge, huge. They were trying to bring a guilt and a condemnation. Getting them to see and to put uh, trust in a system that didn't have Christ as the center of it. Even if it's those things that point to Christ, they're pointers only. They are not the reality. Why are we allowing the blueprints to be the center of our service when the, the house has already been built? It's already done. Paul uses the Greek word 
Crino, when he talks about don't let them judge. And essentially what it's talking about is essentially the quick uh, definition of Crino would be criticism. Don't let people criticize you for what it is that you're doing. But the context actually does compel translators, and even our, our brother, uh, our, our, our uh, New Testament scholar, Douglas Moo, Dr. Douglas Moo, anything you can read from this guy you want to read, okay? Dr. Doug Moo suggests that this judgment was a bit more than criticizing. What he says this, and this is what he said, the latter parallel in particular could suggest that Paul means not just that the teachers were criticizing the Colossian Christians, but that they were pronouncing God's judgment upon them. So when he's saying, don't let them judge you, what he's saying is, don't let them pronounce God's judgment on you. So they weren't just criticizing them for these things. They weren't just saying, ah, you might not want to do that, and nitpicking certain things that they did. Why aren't you doing this? You should be doing this. No, no, no. They were basically saying, if you don't do this, you're going to hell. If you don't keep following the rules of the festivals, you're going to hell. If you don't buy my book, and my, my tape series, they don't do tapes anymore, CD series, they don't even do CDs anymore. What do they do that? If you don't stream my online course, you're going to go to hell. You're, there's condemnation for you. There, all there is is going to be trouble in your life if you don't read my book, if you don't pass the offering plate again. Judgment. These kinds of judgments were coming down. And so here's the thing. The two ways they were passing judgment, the judgment of God upon the Christians, were first in their diet and then in the festivals. Now, many people might read this in our modern culture today and just be like, oh, yes, Shane. Yeah, people do need to be judging me for my diet. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But this is not essentially what they were talking about. The false teachers, and this is uh, Dr. Richard Mellick, he writes this. The false teachers attempted to enforce regulations on the group which were foreign to the spirit of Christ and unnecessary to Christian faith. Their message was non-Christian. It reflected matters of personal choice and had little to do with one's relationship with Christ. See, this is the other thing, too, when we see with teachings that are popular today. It's unnecessary for the Christian faith. It really is. A lot of things that you hear is just like, wow, what does this have to do with faith in Christ? What does this have to do with my justification? What does this have to do with my sanctification? Nothing, but we're making it a big deal. Why are we doing this? Why do we do this? Why do we keep focusing on these types of things? This is what the dietary things were. This is what the feasts were. It was things that were pulling people away from genuine communion and union with their Lord Jesus. This is what was happening. They're drawing them away from this. So we have a clue about how we're supposed to handle false teaching today. A huge clue when it comes to false teaching is the diminishing of Christ. You hear teaching from the pulpit today that diminishes Christ in any way. This is the rhyme I've been doing since we've been in the book of Colossians. You run, run as fast as you can. You can't catch me. I'm the gingerbread man. Any teaching you hear that diminishes Christ, you run as fast as you can. If it diminishes Christ at all. When false teaching is there, Christ will not be necessary or Christ will also be diminished. My mentor says this um, a lot. When it comes to your sermon, Shane, he goes, how do you know the sermon that you're preaching is a Christian sermon? And this is one of the questions he would ask me all the time. He goes, I heard the sermon. How do you know what was the test that you used? The question is, can you preach this sermon in a, in a, in a Muslim mosque? Could you preach this sermon in a Mormon temple or a Jehovah's Witness uh, center? And would they throw you out? If they would, then you're preaching a Christian sermon. Because Christ is exalted. And in the sermon, you're going to hear me say, Jesus is Lord. And you're going to hear me say that Jesus is God. That's how you know it's a Christian sermon. Would you get thrown out? Now, you know it's not if they would love it and amen you just as much as they would any other sermon that they hear. 
And that's, that's the tendency, right? This is the tendency of, of our culture today. Do you realize that uh, theologians now in seminaries are actually teaching their students to stop saying Christ, say God? And, and this is genius. It's genius, you know, as, as far as, you know, wickedness, but genius. <laughs> the reason why you say God is because God's not offensive, Right? Because every religion says God, right? You hear Mormon temple, the Muslims, all these, all these different, different ide- you know, ideologies, different religions, all these things. They all will say God. I'll have no issues when you say God, when you say glorify God, praise God, you know, worship God, follow God, listen to God, all this stuff. Amen, amen. What makes Christianity different is we are not theological. We're Christological meaning that Christ is the center of everything. Why? Because we believe the Bible when the Bible says that Jesus, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. Ah, there's none. So yeah, well, you know, that's the thing about Christianity that we don't like. That's the thing that they keep, that, that modern Christians are even saying today. We got to stop doing things that's going to offend the world. Well, do you know what one of those things is? Is proclaiming Christ. And the cross is going to offend the world. The cross is an offense to them who are perishing. That's who we are. It's what we are. And so when we're listening to things and you're starting to hear the diminishing of Christ or you're starting to hear how Christ is absent from... Oh, people listening to this going, oh, amen. Riches of the Egyptians. Yeah, that sounds great. Amen. I could use some of that. Even teachings that are directly pointed to Christ is being twisted in such a way so people will move away from the centrality of Christ to follow after the teachings of these false teachers believing in a promise that's not true, that's not there, to the point of condemnation. Now, if you don't do this, then that's on you. And God's judgment, if you don't listen to what I'm saying here today, God's judgment is going to land right on you. This is what we get. This is what we hear. Coming. Same thing was going on here. Same thing going on here. The first century diets, this was no small thing. It took on many a dietary laws of the Old Testament brought by the Judaizers. Even some probably Ebionite teachers, they were really popular at the time and some of that teaching was going in. But clearly, the dietary laws of the Old Testament required careful discrimination between clean and unclean meats. Okay? Uh, I was going to read all this, but let me just kind of summarize it just for the sake of time. Land animals, you guys remember that you guys, that we could own, that the Israelites could only eat, they could eat animals that was completely, had split hooves, remember this teaching, and choose the cud. I remember as a, as a young boy, I used to always wonder that, what's the cud? What is it, chewing cuds? You know, I, that for some reason in my mind, I always thought that that meant like they were chewing tobacco, you know? Animals that rolled up tobacco like baseball players. Because then it looked like on baseball when you, they, they look at the bench and the baseball players are all chewing tobacco. It looks like they're chewing the cud. <laughs> but chewing the cud's kind of a gross thing. You know, the, the cows, they eat. It goes into a certain stomach and then guess what? It comes back up. So they can chew it. They call whatever that is, that small ball that comes up, they call it the cud. And they chew that. All right, so they keep chewing. So that's, that's essentially what it is. Just have split hooves or chew the cud. But there are some animals that chew the cud but don't have split hooves. And there are some animals that have split hooves that don't chew the cud. So you can't eat any of those. Now, even when it comes to the marine animals, you're only, supposed, you're only allowed to eat those things in the water that had fins and scales. If it didn't have a fin, if it didn't have scales, then you weren't supposed to eat it. 
Never eat animals from this. You could eat it from the sea. You could eat it from rivers if they have both fins and scales. But if they don't, these things are detestable to you and you do not eat it. It applies to the little creatures that live in the shallow waters and even the creatures in the deep. They will always be detestable to you. You know, so don't, don't let me catch you in red lobster. I see you in Red Lobster. The judgment of God is coming down upon you. Especially if you don't share. Never eat their meat. Don't even touch their dead bodies. If you do, it's detestable to you. Even the birds. He went down a list of all the birds that you don't eat. Don't touch any of these birds. You don't eat these birds. So here's the thing, is that this judgment was coming down upon them. The Colossians were being condemned for not holding to the dietary regulations that were given in Scripture. The Colossians were not holding to these practices. And this is what Paul was reminding them of. Let me explain something to you. Let's talk about this stuff. That they are condemning you for these dietary laws, telling them that if you do any of this, you break any of those laws, you are going to be condemned. You are going to receive the judgment of God. The judgment of God is coming down upon you. But Paul is making it very clear. You do not allow these people and believe when they bring this judgment down upon you. When they say the judgment of God is coming upon you. Don't let them do that. Don't believe it. Don't fall into condemnation. Don't fall into guilt. Don't do that. Because you need to realize that Christ was the fulfillment of all of this. And we see the reality of the abrogation of dietary laws given by Christ in Scripture. Mark chapter 7, verse 18 to 20. Mark chapter 7, verses 18 to 20. Again, you guys, we've got to remember, I'm from Hawaii. We pride ourselves in believing that anything in the ocean, alive or dead, <laughs> is eaten by us. Right? People from Hawaii, we eat everything in the ocean. You know, whatever's in the ocean. This is, this, was, this is an important scripture for me. Mark chapter 7, verse 18 to 20. Mark chapter 7, verse 18 to 20. Don't you understand either? He asked, can't you see that the food you put in your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach, then goes into the sewer. And in, and in parentheses, he says, by saying this, Mark says, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. Acts chapter 10, verse 13. Acts chapter 10, verse 13 to 16. There was a big sheet that came down in this vision that God had given to Peter. And there was all kinds of unclean animals in this, um, in this sheet. And then the voice said, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God had made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to the heaven. To heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. It is true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. You see what the false teachers were doing? And Paul is saying, 1 Corinthians, it's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it. And we don't gain anything if we do. Family, this was not just diet. It was also the festivals. Condemnation was coming down on the people because they were not keeping the festivals as regulated in the scriptures. First Chronicles chapter 31, verse 3. First Chronicles 31, 3. The king also made a personal contribution of animals for the daily morning and evening burnt offerings, the weekly Sabbath festivals, the monthly new moon festivals, and the annual festivals as, as prescribed in the law of the Lord. So you see the new moons, the festivals, the, the, the eating, the, the parties, all of these things. It all was prescribed in the law of the Lord. But let's jump to point number two here. We got to remember that all of these things that he's talking about, the dietary laws, the festivals, the new moons, the Sabbath, all of these things, it all points us to Christ. We got to see this. So he's saying that you're condemned. Because I think I remember here giving the illustration of what types and shadows are and, and the reality. So I used the, the idea of blueprints, right? So blueprints is what shows you what the house is supposed to be. Now the house is built. When it starts to rain, do we run and find the blueprints and find shelter under the blueprints? 
No, that would be bizarre, right? Uh, we find shelter in the home. But that's essentially what they're doing. They are condemning the Colossians because they are not finding shelter. They said, you're in this shelter. You're, you're, in, the, you're in the house. Get out of the house. It's raining. Are you crazy? Go take shelter under the blueprint. Oh, no, no, no. We like it better here in the house. No, no, no. If you don't go tell, take shelter in the blueprint, you're going to go to hell. Essentially what they're saying. If you don't go back to the dietary laws, you're going to go to hell. If you don't keep the feasts, if you don't keep the new moons, if you don't keep the Sabbaths, if you don't do all of that stuff, you are going to go to hell. This has been made clear with the teachings of Christ. Paul is saying that these things are blueprints. These are shadows. These are types. They were pointing to the reality. Now they're trying to convince you that you're going to be judged for not uh, going back to the types and go back to the shadow. It's been made clear in the teachings of Christ. When it comes to eating, there is a clear connection with Christ. Even when it comes to food, when it comes to manna from heaven, Jesus said that he is the real manna from heaven. John chapter 6, verse 35. John 6, 35. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But Shane, what about the feasts? What about Passover? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Ah, judgment right there. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. That's what the Passover is doing. It's pointing us to Christ. What about the Sabbaths? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And who's going to give you rest? He, I will give you rest. These were all shadows. All shadows. Now again, I, I, I hesitate to do this, but let, just give me a minute. He's not talking about the Sabbath Sabbath. You got to remember, see, this is, this is test some of your, uh, your Old Testament IQ here. You do realize that there are other Sabbaths in, in the Bible other than just the main Sabbath on Saturday. There were Sabbaths for uh, certain festivals. There were Sabbaths for certain days of the month, Sabbaths for certain days of the week, certain Sabbaths for all these things. There were Sabbaths everywhere, okay? So I just, I just want to make sure that that's clear because I know sometimes some of us would be like, well, you know, well, Colossians there, right there, it says that we don't have to uphold the Sabbath, so uh, it's not a sin if we don't go to church anymore. No, that's not what he's saying here. We're talking about the Sabbaths that are mentioned with the festivals. Don't believe me? On your own time, go read Leviticus chapter 23. And you're going to see what he's talking about. All of these feasts, all of these Sabbaths, all these new moons, all of these types of things, they all pointed to Christ. That was the purpose, and it was all fulfilled when Christ came. But you've got to remember that the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath day, making it holy, all of that stuff, yeah, that's part of the Ten Commandments. That's the moral law. You know, that's different. All right? So I just wanted to make sure I say that. Just in case some of us might be thinking, oh, sounds to me like we don't have to go to church anymore. No, 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 no. Nice try, but no. Hendrickson says this, very clear. To be sure, for, a time, uh, for the time being, a shadow is cast by an approaching person may prove to be of some real value. For example, it's possible that one is eagerly expecting this person but happens to be so situated that at his approach for a moment, his shadow alone is seen. However, that shadow not only guarantees the imminent arrival of the visitor, but even provides a dim outline describing him. Thus, too, the Old Testament regulations had served a real purpose. So all these shadows and all these feasts and all these things, they all served a real purpose. A shadow is an important thing. A shadow is a very hopeful thing. A shadow is there. But here it is. But when the reality comes, why are we yearning for the shadow? So many things in the Bible point to Christ. Matter of fact, they all point to Christ. And here it is. Here's, here it is. This is we're going to start wrapping things up. Wow, we're going to be early. Oh, no. That's not the time I'm supposed to be following. Oh, man. Where are, we, where are we at? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. All right, it's still going to be early. <laughs> Sorry. 
I'm over there looking at the clock going, I know that was longer than a minute. Sorry. <laughs> it's like I told one of you. I can't remember who it was. It's in your best interest to make sure that when you come in on Sunday mornings that you check that clock and make sure it's working right. I'm just saying it's in your best interest. So many things in the Bible point to Christ. And this is the one, this is the one thing. You know, if you guys uh, know Janelle Lee for any moment of time, you know this is what Janelle will just make sure that she absolutely hammers me on the head with. Is it about Christ? Why? Because everything in the Bible is about Christ. If you don't see that, you're going to have some serious exegetical errors. There's going to be issues in the teachings. There's going to be issues in the preaching. Well, Shane, how do you, how do you figure that? Because Jesus tells us this. You don't have to have a degree in hermeneutics. You don't actually have to have a master's of divinity to know this. The Bible tells us what the Bible is about. Makes it very clear. Tells us what the Bible is about. You want to know, Jesus is saying, you want to know what the Bible is about? Luke chapter 24, verses 25 to 27. Luke chapter 24, verses 25 to 27. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Uh, here's the big one. John chapter 5, verse 39 to 40. John chapter 5, verses 39 to 40. This is the first scripture I go to anytime somebody says, what is the message of scripture? Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. An article here, and this is very helpful. Just follow with me just as we close here. An article I read from Gospel Coalition. If you grew up in the church, you're probably familiar with the well-known Bible stories. You've marveled at Noah's floating zoo. You've faced down giants in your life like David. Maybe you've even dared to be a Daniel. And that's just the Old Testament, the Gospels you learned about, Jesus' miracles, perhaps also that these stories aren't just intended to amaze. They're meant to actually make you a better person. Do you see how generous that little boy was with his lunch? Go and do likewise. If you didn't grow up in church and you're not familiar with the Bible, you may assume that the Bible is a well-meaning series of morality tales or an anthology of philosophical musings, or an archaic rule book that ought to remain confined to hotel room drawers. Indeed, increasing numbers of people today believe that the scripture is downright dangerous. It's a tool to oppress the weak and to prevent the gullible from being true to themselves. He says this, churchgoer or not, if you resonate even slightly with any of these sentiments, I have great news for you. Contrary to popular belief, the Bible is not a collection of ethical principles, moral platitudes, or abstract life lessons. Imagine a single, unfolding, thrilling drama, a story of epic proportions that is more fascinating than your favorite fairy tale because it is true. That is God's word. If we ever hope to properly handle the stories in the Bible, we must first grasp the story of the Bible. If we want to understand the Bible, we have got to understand what it is that the Bible is talking about. And what's fascinating to me is that all these books, all these cultures, all these authors, all these writers are all actually talking about one thing. And that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All of Scripture is about the word and work of Christ. To preach Christ is to preach His words and to preach His works. 
even when it comes to the epistles, people will be like, well, even when the Apostle Paul, it sounds like he was trying to address certain things. You realize that when you read the Apostle Paul, does it seem like to you like it does to me? The Apostle Paul can't go two minutes without mentioning Christ. I mean, every time you read Paul, when you read, it's just they can't go very long. It's almost like I've already written too much Christ. They just got to make sure that they put it in. All, everything is about Christ. They can't help but point everything to Christ. Every single time they quote an Old Testament scripture, they're pointing to Christ. Well, here's the big one. Hey, man, Shane, I heard your sermon about everything in the Bible is about Christ. I got something for you. Are you ready for this? I got something for you. This is what I get. I get this all the time. Are you telling me that the book of Proverbs is about Christ? And they're just like, they think that's checkmate. I'm family. I'm just like, I'm just going to give you this simple response. I thank you for asking that question. Because with that question, I can glorify Christ even more. Do you know why? Not only... Is the Proverbs about Christ? The Proverbs is Christ. Why? Because 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jew and Gentile, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. All oh, Proverbs is just... We don't have to worry about the, hey, is Proverbs about Christ? Proverbs is Christ and Christ alone. He is the fulfillment of it all. He lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died. Fulfilling the dietary regulations, the feast regulations, adding to the wonderful good news we call the gospel. Family, we don't want to get away from the reality Stop trying to find our shelter and our comfort in all the things that point to Christ. Find it in Christ. We're trying to find satisfaction. We're trying to find comfort in the things of the world. All these things are fleeting. All these things will pass away. How many times I've been saying in service that we've got to remember, we've got to understand that the words of God are more precious than gold. We would scale mountains. We will do anything when it comes to getting your hands on some gold. But right here, we've got the word of God and the heavenly father, the creator of heaven and earth. He is telling you that my words are more precious than gold. That the wisdom of God is more precious than rubies. Do we believe it? That's the question. Do we really believe it? Because the reality will hit you one day. will hit us all one day. Where we're just going to be like, do you know why God's word is more precious than gold? One of the reasons why is because you guys do know that, um, that uh, in heaven, right? When we go to heaven, gold is asphalt, right? I mean, that's it. It's asphalt. Everything we're fighting for, everything we're clavering for, that's what we're walking on in heaven. But do you know one thing that's absolutely amazing to me? Heaven and earth. Heaven and earth. Gold, rubies, diamonds. I'm sorry, Liz Taylor. Diamonds are not forever. Heaven and earth will pass away. But everything that we're memorizing today, everything that we're learning about today, everything that we're reading about today, you realize when heaven and earth passes away, God's word will remain. It's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to go. I guarantee you right now, all of us, if all of a sudden you had enough money to go buy the, the sweetest car, Go to the store and buy the most expensive car that you can buy today. I guarantee you that car is going to pass away. It's going to pass away. But the word that you're hearing this morning, hide it in your heart. Hold it in your heart. 
because it's going to remain forever. And the reality of this word that remains forever points out some very, very important things. The world, false teachers are trying to get us to to be led away from Christ. But life and life more abundant is in Christ and in Christ alone. Freedom from sin, freedom from guilt can only come from Christ and from Christ alone. And the reality is, is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Making wrong judgments is part of that. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And there is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. Don't believe me, it's in the Bible. It's on Sean's arm. It's there. Hell is a reality. But there's only one thing that can save us from hell. And that is the blood of Christ. Our Passover lamb. The good news today is this family. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into this world to seek and save that which was lost. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Family, did you know that there is no, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it's only in Christ and it's Christ alone. And the promise continues for us today that if we confess with our mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible promises one thing, you will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it doesn't matter what people in this world are telling you. Christian, today, they're going to come against you and they're going to condemn you. There's going to be judgments that are going to be brought down upon you. All of that. There's going to be all of that. Well, let me tell you something. There is no person, no person will ever be condemned when you are covered with the blood of Christ. Not even the God, the God, God the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, not even he will condemn you when he looks upon you and says, you are a child of God. You are are in Christ. Come in. Well done, my good and faithful servant. All the scriptures point to this amazing story. The wonderful gospel of Jesus. It's all about Christ. All types and shadows point to this reality. The reality is Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.